You're listening to the Color Country Podcast, your passport to the breathtaking public lands and tourism destinations nestled in southern Utah and northern Arizona. Join host Stephanie DeGraw and her guests. My name is Bruce Grubbs, and I'm the author of uh, A Falcon Guide, uh, 101 Classic Hikes of the Southwest. I've lost track. Uh, Something like the 24th or 25th book I've done for Falcon Press over many years. So this is just the latest project. Thank you so much for being my guest today. What inspired you to write 101 Classic Hikes of the Southwest? It's interesting because I've had uh, ideas for several books along that line over the years, none of which actually got anywhere. And then they approached me with the idea of doing a uh, kind of an overview book of the of the southwestern states. So uh, since I'd already thought of something like that before, so I, I jumped at it. It was my editors that thought of it. But as soon as they said, hey, are you interested? I said, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And yourself, your background, have you been much of a hiker in your life? Were there any particular hikes that you really wanted to share? Well, I've been in, involved in the outdoors my whole life. Didn't actually start hiking and backpacking until after we moved to Arizona when I was uh, 14. I was actually raised in Alaska and my parents were into hunting and fishing. And so, yeah, I've been in the outdoors since I can remember. But once we moved to Arizona, First, I hated the desert. I thought it was really ugly. And then I got out and started well, rock hounding with my parents. And I realized, wow, it's gorgeous out here, at least when it's cool. So um, I got into hiking and and uh, backpacking pretty seriously. And uh, that's the one thing I've done all my life. I'm not doing as much of it now as I'd, I'd like to, uh, more day hikes. I really, I really do like backpacking, though. I also cross-country ski, rock climb, mountain bike, kayak. But of all the things I've done in the outdoors, uh, hiking and backpacking is uh, my base. That's what I always come back to, never give up on. How did you select the hikes featured in your book? Were there any kind of criteria that you put towards choosing those hikes? Uh, that was the hardest part of writing the book. I mean, as I've said, I'm a veteran of writing hiking guides and outdoor guides. So, but trying to basically eliminate nearly all the hikes that could possibly be in the book. Uh, that was the hard part. What I wanted was, and you know, working with my editors, we had the same vision, is to pick the cream of the crop of the states that the uh, book was going to cover, but also at the same time try to stay away from, you might say, overhyped hikes. You know, so you want people to have really good experiences, but you also want to give them something that's a little bit little off the beaten track without getting into something that would be, you know, for experienced hikers only. Because uh, one thing that's been pretty certain through my hiking guidebook career is that most of the people buying hiking guides are either beginners or they're new to an area. And you, you want people to have fun right off the bat. So I I basically pick the classic hikes and, and, uh, in each area and then and then narrowed it down from there, uh, like I said, trying to make it just a little bit different and not just uh, nothing but the best known hikes, I guess, is a way to put it. Can you share some of your tips for hikers exploring the trails in your books? Any kind of gear you might recommend or safety precautions? Oh, that's a great question because a lot of people think, okay, hiking is just walking. I walk every day. I can do this, right? That's 
pretty true if you're on a on a really popular and easy trail with lots of people around uh, that's fairly short. Um, you really don't have to worry too much about gear, just basically having comfortable shoes. But if you start doing longer hikes, getting further away from the crowds and more into the backcountry, which is uh, the part I like, is being able to get off the roads and away from the crowds. Um, you should take equipment a little bit more seriously. There is a concept that's been floating around for decades called 10 Essentials. And I won't go over the list. It's yeah, all you have to do is Google it. But that's a recommendation to not just walk out with no gear at all, uh, especially in the Southwest. Water is the number one thing you should have, probably about twice as much as you think you should have. Because um, dehydration illness is, is the most common problem that Southwestern hikers have. Uh, even in the cool weather, the air is dry and you dehydrate pretty quickly. So water is number one few snacks so you don't start running on empty if your hike goes longer than you think. And uh, I strongly recommend for anything but a really well-marked short, easy trails that people carry a map of some kind. Uh, there's excellent maps available now for recreation. And uh, a lot of people just use their phone for a map, but phone batteries die and you get out of cell phone range and have it downloaded your map, all of a sudden you don't have a map. Plus, I just love maps. It's fun reading them and, and figuring out where you are. And it lets you find a lot of stuff that you'll never know about if you don't have a map. And then if you're going to carry a map, you might as well throw a compass in your fanny pack or day pack or whatever. Um, you won't need one very often out here in the southwest where you can see for 100 miles. But when you do need one, <laughs> you'll need it badly. So true. So true. And how about um, hiking gear and just maybe even the thought I have of how I uh, bought some new hiking shoes, but I didn't break them in. So of course I had a lot of blisters. Any recommendations you have on the kind of shoes you should use when you hike? Well, I've, I've always been a fan of lightweight hiking shoes. I've never liked heavy leather boots, which when I started backpacking were the, the rage is um, big, heavy mountain mountaineering boots that you could split rocks with. I've just, I've never liked that. So I've always used lightweight shoes. So I'm really glad to see that there's just, the market is just flooded with um, really good lightweight hikers and a lot of good brands. I, I recommend going to an outdoor shop that specializes in, in hiking uh, because they know how to, how to fit hiking shoes, whether it's a low cut shoe or an over the ankle shoe isn't so important as long as it's comfortable and, you, and fits well and you have plenty of toe room. Uh, that's probably the mistake uh, most people or a lot of people make that are starting out is they're used to street shoes and they get their shoes too short, too tight. That cramps your toes and that leads to lots of blisters. You need, you need a comfortable fit in toe room and a good shop will have a uh, space where you can walk around and even a little ramp you can walk up and down to simulate going up and downhill. Ah, uh, that's, that's a great idea. I'm a big online shopper, so I, I think that's great. I'm going to have to go into a store and, and make sure I'm getting the right pair next time. We mentioned that when you have, you know, your phone, your battery might die, and you might not even have uh, cell service at all. What about GPS-compatible maps and things like that? Uh, if, you, if you don't have access to the cell service, are there any kind of technology that we can take with us 
I probably sounded like a dinosaur when I said carry a paper map and a compass. It's like, what's that? But uh, no, the the technology we have right now for uh, GPS in our phones and maps on our phones is just downright stunning. I mean, it's made it a lot easier for me to map trails for for writing books, but um, it's it's good for hiking too because you can you can download the maps to your phone when you're at home and then even if you're out of cell service you'll still have you'll still have still have the maps and the gps function isn't dependent on the cell service so uh, that way you'll you know you'll have a map and you'll be able to tell exactly where you are on the map but again if the battery dies on your phone that's why i, I recommend either buying or, or printing a paper map the apps that i'm familiar with that you can use on on phone and computer, they all let you print the maps out at home, which is nice because you can print a custom map just for your trip and you don't have to carry a huge folding map that most of it you're not even gonna need or or uh, like the old US government, US geological survey quads. The modern tools are great. I just recommend again, printing a map of the area and then uh, to use your phone, make sure you've downloaded the, the map Oh, yeah, they were huge. So you could use it offline. And another thing to consider is maybe taking a power bank. If you're doing a really long hike and you know your phone won't make it all day, use a power bank so you can charge it up. And also put it in airplane mode. That greatly extends the the battery life of a phone. Yes, great tips. And also I was reading that there's um, some of those satellite locators that you can buy like the Ingarmin Reach and, and some other companies have similar things for people that go way, way in the backcountry. Um, those seem to be a, a good tool as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That is a, a very good point. Uh, there's two types of locators. One is a commercial service uh, like the Garmin InReach you mentioned. That's the most popular one. Um, and that, that's basically a private locator service, but Garmin's a reliable company. So if you send an SOS through their device, it's it's going to get through. And you can also, by a paid subscription service, you can actually send and receive text messages through the device too. So if you're really doing something remote, your family or friends can track you on your trip. The other kind of locator is, is called a, a personal locator beacon or PLB. Uh, when I fly airplanes, we legally have to have the aircraft equivalent of that in the airplane. Uh, but you could carry a little tiny one that only weighs a couple of ounces when you're hiking. Um, um, you press the SOS button on that, um, the rescue center will know who you are and where you are within five minutes. A friend of mine got rescued that way one time, and he, it wasn't a life-threatening injury, but he couldn't walk either. So uh, he, it made him a believer, and I bought mine right after that. So I, I don't carry one when I'm on well-traveled trails with lots of people, but if I'm in any remote area, um, I carry one. Yes, that's a great idea. And as you've been hiking for so long that you mentioned you may have some interesting experiences maybe you could share about any memorable or challenging experiences that you've had one of the places i've done a lot of backpacking and i'm using the word backpacking uh, as the grand canyon um there's not a whole lot you could do in the grand canyon in the way of day hiking there's not that many trails and uh to get anywhere you pretty much have to go out for multiple days. So yes, I've had some 
epic trips there, <laughs> wading through several feet of snow after a storm dropped a lot of snow on the upper part of the canyon just to get out. This was actually a climbing trip, not technical climbing, but we were trying to climb a couple of the, the buttes that are non-technical and uh, uh, got way behind schedule, ran out of water, and we were looking at it and spending a night without water. It was a cool evening. It wouldn't have been life-threatening, but it would have been really uncomfortable. And there were three of us. We sort of debated should we uh, just go ahead and bivouac here? And uh, we can find our way down. We know what we're doing. So we did. It took us a, a couple of hours, but we got back to our campsite uh, by a creek. And so we had plenty of water and a comfortable comfortable camp. So, yeah, if you hike long enough, you're, you're going to have some epics. But um, uh, in hindsight, they're fun as long as you're, as long as you're prepared. In this case, We'd run out of water, which was kind of a misjudgment, but we were hiking in cool weather and we had enough warm clothing and stuff to safely spend the night. So there was nothing dangerous in our situation. We had just been a bit thirstier by the time we got back to the creek. What is the longest hike you've been on? Oh, that's easy. 18 days um, in the Grand Canyon. Um, years ago, uh, a friend and I hiked a, a very remote section, mostly trailless. We started on a trail and ended on a trail, but Grand Canyon is an unusual national park in that there aren't that many trails considering how large the park is. And that's because uh, the early explorers and pioneers took one look at the Grand Canyon and ran away screaming. It's like, this place is ugly and there's nothing. You can't farm here. You can't do anything. A few miners built some trails, but they didn't find anything that they could uh, actually make a profit on after they hauled it out of the canyon. So even mining kind of failed. So it, it, by the time it became a national park in 1919, uh, there were only a couple of really well-maintained main trails. So if you if you want to do much hiking in the canyon, you either you hike out all the trails and then you, you quit or you start hiking cross country. So that 18-day trip I mentioned was... Um, from the Supai Indian village in the south central part of the canyon over to the Grand Canyon Village area, the classic part of the national park. And uh, I generally don't like trips that long because you, well, you can't carry stuff for 18 days. So we had to put out a cache of food and water partway through, which was fine. But longer trips like that, you just feel like, you know, you live out there. That's your life now. And you just sort of forget about uh, all the trivial civilization stuff you left behind. That's amazing. What are some of your other uh, personal favorite hikes that are included in this book and what makes them special to you? It turns out when I look through the list again, um, I do have some real favorites. Some of them are easy, some of them are hard, so it's a nice mix. The first one is the Mount Charleston Loop in uh, southern Nevada. It starts in a deep canyon, and then it traverses along a ridge for seven or eight miles over the highest peak in the range at about 11,000 feet. So you're up above Timberline with just tremendous views for for hours on end. And it's a it's a day hike. It's a long day hike. You need to be in shape for that one because it's a lot of climbing and descending, but it's all good trail the whole way. And, and uh, that's just a, a stunning loop. And it's right outside of Las Vegas. It's very close. A um, little more remote telescope peak in California that's on the west side of Death Valley National Park. And uh, that hike starts from a high trailhead and takes you up to, as the name says, Telescope Peak which has a bit of a scramble at the end, but most people can do that. 
and it's the highest point in the park, I'm pretty sure. It's um, more than 11,000 feet above the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. So the views down into Death Valley are, are amazing. I'm in southern Utah, and of course, a lot of us run over to the north rim of the Grand Canyon and in those areas. Do you have any hikes up in our area that uh, you recall that are in the book, or have you hiked? Maybe they're not in the book, but have you had a chance to hike in our area? I really like the uh, in Zion, my favorite hike, and I think I put it in the book. I can't remember. I could look it up, but that is uh, <clears throat> the East Rim Trail or the Cable Mountain Trail. It, it goes out of Zion Canyon to the east. A lot of people go up the trail across the canyon from it that goes to the West Rim and goes to Angel's Landing. That's that's spectacular, too, and Angel's Landing is scary but spectacular. But a lot of people overlook the East Rim Trail that goes past some really beautiful slot canyons that are side trips and then eventually uh, takes you up across this huge area of just sloping sandstone up to the to the rim and just uh, an amazing view of Zion Canyon and not nearly as popular as the trail across the canyon. And the north rim of the Grand Canyon, the Arizona Trail, which runs from Utah, where it actually starts the Mexico border and goes north, but you can hike it anyway. So runs the length of Arizona uh, south to north, but a long section of it runs across the Kaibab Plateau north of the north rim of the canyon. And all the sections I've hiked of that are, are gorgeous, uh, pine fir and aspen forest. And another nice hike uh, in the Grand Canyon is to uh, just walk down the upper part of the Kaibab Trail, which is the trail all the way across the canyon. Uh, but it drops down into a spectacular side canyon and goes to uh, one of the biggest springs in the Grand Canyon called Roaring Springs. So that's that's a fairly long day hike if you go all the way down there and back, but you really uh, immerse yourself in the canyon and it's a very well-maintained trail. Well, I know I can't wait to grab a copy of your book to find all the cool places to go this summer. Do you hike year-round or do you just do it certain parts of the year? Uh, no, that's the great thing about living in the Southwest. Um, and Arizona is the center of the book. I guess you could kind of argue that Arizona is the heart of the Southwest. We're surrounded by Southwestern states, of course, including Utah. And uh, like Utah and California, Arizona has a lot of elevation contrast. Uh, and so you can hike all year round. I can, Southern Utah, you can you can do some great hikes in the winter when the mountains further north are deep in snow. Same thing in Arizona, the high country in central and northern Arizona could be snowy or muddy in the winter. We're just getting this huge storm right now. So you're not going anywhere in the forest without snowshoes or skis right now. But uh, down here, where I am at the moment in Phoenix, the desert's gotten some rain. And when it gets a bit of rain like this, or a lot of rain, it'll green up really fast. And and then that means it'll be a, a great spring flower season too. So that's the great thing about the Southwest is you can hike all year round. You just have to change elevation, go low in the winter and high in the summer. Absolutely. That's why I'm back down to the Southern part of my state. <laughs> that's for sure. So what would you hope the readers take away from 101 classic hikes of the Southwest? I find that most of the audience are beginners. Um, they're just getting into hiking. So I'm hoping that will, um, you yeah, know, the, the hikes are rated um, um, easy, moderate, or strenuous. And uh, that's explained in the introductory material. And nearly anybody should be able to do an easy hike. 
So I'm hoping that you know people will, even if they haven't hiked and they're new to the area, will pick some easy hikes. And then once they get out there, just find out how gorgeous the Southwest is and it'll inspire them to do more. And, and uh, the more they do, the more they can do. And then veteran hikers that are moving from somewhere else but have a lot of experience. There's tips in the book about how to handle the differences in desert hiking compared to wetter climates. So I'm hoping that experienced people that are new to the area will, you know, they may look at it and go, well, I don't need a guidebook. I only want to do hard hikes. Well, there's hard hikes in there. So there's hikes for for everybody. But I'm just hoping that it basically gets the reader excited about exploring the Southwest and wanting to do more. I mean, I've been exploring it my the Southwest my entire life, and I'd have to live about three or four more lifetimes to even make a dent in all the great hiking there is. Definitely. There's so much out there. What else do you have coming up in the works? I'm sure this was an amazing, huge undertaking, but off the top of your head, do you have any other projects you want to mention? Uh, nothing specifically. I don't have any new books in the works right now for Falcon Press or anybody else. Um, but I do have several book revisions for Falcon. Uh, one thing I really like about writing for them is they're, they're really um, assertive about keeping their hiking guides and outdoor guides up to date. Uh, they generally ask me to revise my books about every five years. So I'm in the process of revising Hiking Nevada right now, Best Easy Day Hikes Tucson, Best Hikes Near Sedona. But that's really important because especially contact information like websites and phone numbers for the agencies uh, that manage the land, those change fairly often. Especially, especially websites. So it's really good to revise the revise the books. Also, agencies sometimes move trailheads to give better access or to cut down on erosion or whatever. So I think it is really important to, that hiking guides be revised pretty often. And I and I have to applaud uh, Falcon Press. They've always been good about having their authors revise their books. Yes, I I never thought of that. You would want the latest information as you go out there. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, that sounds good. I really appreciate the the interview you having me on. And yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Color Country Podcast. Special thanks to our guest, Bruce Scrubs, and I'm your host, Stephanie DeGraw. You've been listening to the Color Country Podcast. Enjoy your public lands and remember to leave no trace.